right, there we are. Okay, we're going to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. So if we can turn in our Bibles, and as you're getting to 1 Corinthians, I want to get uh, chapter 13, uh, just by way of review, um, and some context here. So the Corinthian church, as I was talking about last week, we're, we're looking at 12, 13, and 14 as one continuous thought here, right? So Paul is systematically going through a series of topics. Some, uh, A lot of these are ones that are addressed by a letter that was sent from the Corinthian church asking Paul questions. And it appears as, this, as if this thing, um, spiritual gifts, was one of the items on the letter that, uh, that they were um, needing some guidance on. And so... He goes exhaustively into this um, into this topic, um, but he does it in a very interesting way. Um, so he he actually talks very briefly about the gifts. He, he not now we know that there's probably 22, 23, some up could say up to like twenty four different spiritual gifts listed at various scriptures in scripture. Uh, he he names these nine charisma gifts. Um, grace gifts uh, and then later in the chapter of 12 he lists a few more that he also lists other places uh, when he's talking about gifts and so um, he is talking about in this context more than just the nine although the nine gifts the charisma gifts are uh, certainly included in this so the Corinthian church as it appears uh, had a problem with the gifts in general, but probably very particularly those nine, more of the supernatural or like the, um, uh, the kind of a, a bit of a different class of their own. So speaking in tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and discerning of spirits and healing and all that kind of stuff. Those are the really exciting gifts. When we see those things happening within a church service, it's very exciting, right? Um, and, and we put a lot of value on those gifts, but there are also other gifts like mercy and helps and giving and administrations and teaching and uh, pastoring gifts and, and so on. So there's all of those as well. And even though they're all in a bit of different classifications, they're all incredibly important in the church. And that's what he's talking about. But the, 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 the Corinthian church was a hyper charismatic church. So they were really, really hyper focused on these these uh, these nine spiritual gifts, uh, supernatural type gifts, and it became a really big problem for them. Now, also remember the context of all of 1 Corinthians is about the strife and the division that's in the body of Christ. Because there was strife and division in the body of Christ, that problem was manifesting itself in all different areas. The Lord's Supper and uh, roles and authority within the church, uh, but then also now in these uh, the spiritual gifts so Paul masterfully reminds them that there's one God one Lord and one Holy Spirit working in all of the gifts so this means that all of the gifts should work together right God's not going to contradict himself Holy Spirit's not going to contradict and interrupt himself how about that one right so we can be very interruptive disruptive uh, with some of the gifts uh, used improperly. Uh, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He doesn't disrupt himself and he doesn't interrupt himself. So he's saying that, that, look, they all are coming from God and the goal 
of this single manifestation of the Spirit through the many gifts is so that the whole church can be edified and built up. And it's also the Spirit who decides how the gifts are distributed among each person, okay? But for the Corinthians, it became a source of competition and spiritual pride. So it was really getting these guys in trouble. They began to think too highly for themselves or too little of others based on what the gifts of the Spirit, of, depending on which gifts of the Spirit they had. And so Paul reminded them that they are all of one Spirit and everyone with their differing gifts make up the one singular body of Christ. So all of the work, the, the gifts working together in concert, concert is what actually makes the body work in a functioning manner, okay? Just like our human bodies, and he talks about our human bodies. We've got all of these different parts. So you have, you know, the eyes and you have the ears and you have the hands, which are very visible and active and everybody can recognize them, right? So if you're a prophetic type of a person, people can see that you're a prophetic type of a person. And, or if you have the gift of healing, it's very visible, right? Or if you're a teacher, you have a teaching gift, it's very visible, right? They're the outside, you know, of the body. But then you also have the hidden parts. You have the, the heart and the lungs and the liver and the pancreas and all those kinds of things working behind the scenes. But how many of you would like to have your body without a functioning heart and lungs and liver and pancreas? You would all agree that if you didn't have those parts or if those parts uh, stopped working properly, it doesn't matter what the hand and the eyes and the ears try to do because this body will be sick if not dead. So he's saying, look, there might be all these other gifts that work behind the scenes, mercy, helps, administrations, all these different things that aren't seen as much. Um, and he goes, but those we clothe with even greater, greater honor. We, we, we bless those people because they're working behind the scenes. And all of these gifts and all of these parts making up the fullness of the body of Christ. Now we think about these things, um, we think about these things from the perspective of all of the church, and that's true, right? All of the church is the body of Christ. But, we are, but it also is in the perspective and the, 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 the application that when we here sitting in this room this morning, make up the body of Christ. We are a body among ourselves, okay? So the application of what he's talking about transfers, it's applicable to not only the local congregation, the local people getting together where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It goes from the two or more to the masses to the whole body of Christ across the, across the earth. It's the same application, the principles apply. Here in this room, we desire to have all the gifts functioning properly so that we can all be built up and healthy, a healthy body. That's what this is all about. And that's what he's telling them. Remember, he's talking, yes, to the universal church, but he was specifically at the time talking to this group of people in Corinth, right? So the application is greater than, than the, the Corinthians, but he, it was a letter to the Corinthians. He's talking about when you get together, when you gather together, this is how you should be. This is how you should function. We need to be thinking about this at that level of every time we come into this room together, every time we meet, we need to be thinking about this. Okay, so 
again, to finish up our context, Paul finishes up the uh, chapter 12 by asking us a series of rhetorical questions, right? And he reminds us that not everybody has the same gift. So he says, does all speak in tongues? Does all prophesy? Does all, right? And the answer to that is no, not everybody has all the gifts. But because the Holy Spirit distributes them as he sees fit, okay? We can't force them. We can't make ourselves have them, right? And, and so at the same time, he's also saying that we are to desire what he calls the greater gifts. Now, I'm not going to get into that now. The greater gifts, I'm, we'll touch on more next week, when we, or uh, two, I guess it's going to be two weeks from now, um, uh, because we have our collective next week. But uh, two weeks from now, uh, when we get into chapter 14, uh, that's going to talk more about this concept of the greater gifts and what that really, what he really means by that. Okay. Um, but the idea is that we're to zealously desire the gifts because the purpose of the gifts is to edify and build up the body of Christ. Who doesn't want to be someone who helps the whole body, right? We need to desire when we come together to be a blessing. And this is something we absolutely have got to reprogram our brains because the, the, the traditional church as it has existed for approximately the last 1500 years plus has operated on this laity clergy mentality and structure where we all file into a room and we sit down and the clergy does everything up on the stage. And that is not the way the early church worked. Everybody was involved. We have got to get out of the mindset that we come to receive. We do receive, yes. But we should be coming with the goal to give and to bless. And that's why we should desire the greater gifts. That's why we should earnestly desire the greater gifts. We want to be a greater blessing. If you're coming with the idea that you have nothing to give, you are coming selfishly. You don't see yourself the way God sees you. You don't see any value in yourself and you don't think the rest of the body needs you. That's why we have no problem skipping church. We have no problem missing church because it doesn't really matter if I'm not there. That's the mentality and it's wrong. It's a, dece it's a deception. We need to come together with the purpose of, I need to be there because I want to bless my brothers and sisters. I want them to grow in the Lord. I want this, them to be strengthened up. I want to encourage them. I want to help to challenge them if necessary. I want them to, and I want them to do that for me. That's the attitude that we should be coming. But, but we've, turned, we've turned church into consumer, a consumer Christianity. We just come in and you know, you've heard me say this more than once, right? We come in, we file in, we sit down, we look up at the pastor and say, what do you got for me today, pastor? Right? It does. When there's the long moments of silence, you're waiting for the pastor to say something. Maybe you're supposed to say something. <laughs> right? Maybe you're supposed to speak up. Granted, there are ones that do more in the service of, the, of when, when we come together. There are ones who administer and there's ones who teach and spend. There are ones that have, you know, like, like today and, you know, this particular setting I'm doing, I'm speaking the most, right? But 
like I said last week, it doesn't mean that's the most important thing that we accomplish. The teaching, it shouldn't, this shouldn't be the centerpiece. This should be one of the many significant things that goes on in the body of Christ is the many parts all function properly and give with a desire to bless, right? So this is what he was talking about, but now he's about to go so, so much deeper. He ends chapter 12 with these words. He goes, and I'll show you an even better or more excellent way. I love that. It's the greatest setup for what he goes into. So he goes through all the gifts and he goes through all the, where the different parts and where the body and the eye cannot say to the ear, I have no need of the ear because you're not a, so and so, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, What right? And all of this like crazy perspectives of how we see other people and how we see ourselves and how wrong it is and yada, yada, yada. And he goes through all of these kinds of things and he finally says, I'm gonna show you a more excellent way, a better way. And here he gets into what we refer to as the love chapter, right? Everybody knows chapters, uh, chapter 13 is the love chapter, and it is. But remember the context in which it's written. It's written it right smack in the middle of chapter 12 and chapter 14, which is all about how we're supposed to be a part of the body of Christ and how we're supposed to use the gifts of the Spirit for functioning as a healthy body of Christ. And he puts smack in the middle, chapter 13. The love chapter. Campbell Morgan wrote this, that, quote, examining this chapter is like dissecting a flower to understand it. If you tear it apart too much, you lose the beauty. So let's not tear this one apart too much today, okay? We don't wanna lose the beauty of what Paul masterfully writes here. Alan Redpath said this, one could get a spiritual suntan from the warmth of this chapter. <laughs> How about that? That's, a, that's, that's really sweet. In this chapter, Paul uh, mentions love 10 times. And in every mention of love, the Greek word that is used here is agape, every single time. And agape, as we might, might know, is, the, is what's called, considered unconditional love. Love for the sake of love, regardless of the other person uh, and how they reciprocate. It's not eros, which is where we get the word erotic, which is like, I love pizza, um, I love, to go skiing, I love my dog. Now some people would argue, oh, I love more than just Eros and the dog, but it's a bit different, right? Then there's phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, right? And that's what it is, brotherly love. But there's a bit of, con there's a bit of condition in the phileo love. There's uh, I love you as you love me, okay? But, but agape is different. Agape is unconditional. I'm loving regardless of the outcome, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the reciprocation. I'm loving unconditionally. And that's what he's talking about here. Agape love is the way Jesus loves. Agape love is how the Father loves. Agape love is how the Holy Spirit loves, right? And when he speaks of his love for us, it is 
agape. When his love is demonstrated for us, it is agape. That's what he's talking about. All right. In this chapter, Paul's talking about the need for love as the motivation for using the gifts of the Spirit. The point he will very directly tell the Corinthians and us is that the essential ingredient in proper, orderly, edifying use of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit is love. It's a whole point he's trying to make here. It's the core fundamental ingredient. And we just got off Thanksgiving, right? And you've got, so there was, you know, pies being made and everything, right? There's, you remove any one of those ingredients that just doesn't work right, you know? That's the way he's saying it, because love is so essential. You remove that out of it, it's just not gonna be right. There's optional ingredients, but there's core ingredients you cannot remove. And love is the one in this particular case. Love for God and for your brother and sister should be the core motivation when exercising the gifts. All gifts, not just the nine, although those were the most problematic for the church. And I would argue most, the most problematic in the church today. Okay, so what does he say? Let's go into it. Uh, right, let me read chapter 13, one through three. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast or to be burned, as many translations say, I, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And all these things, he says, if you don't have love, it's not, you're not who you think you are. All right, so let's break this down. Verse one, I speak in human or angelic tongues. Now, I do, don't want to lose the flavor of this, of this chapter, but there's a couple very key technical things I want to bring out here, call out, in this idea of human or angelic. Now, since I wanted to call this out specifically because in chapter 14, he talks about the gift of tongues a lot. He mentions it um, in chapter 12. He mentions it in chapter 13 and in, cha in chapter 14. Okay, so this gift of tongues is a big deal. It's a big problem for the Corinthian church. And I would say it's very much a problem in the church today. There's so much so that people say, oh, the gifts don't, don't exist anymore. Tongues doesn't exist anymore. Other people use tongues in very abusive ways. It's all over the, you know, if you're not, you're not really saved unless you have speak in tongues, right? I mean, there's been denominations that have actually said that and cults that have actually said that and it's false. Uh, it go, goes from one stream to the other. I mean, tongues is just one of those things. And it's such a strange gift, <laughs> this ability to speak in another language that you have. Why did God, why did he decide to do it that way? I don't fully know. I have ideas I'm not going to get into now. But yeah, this thing has always been a mess. But he says here, 
in tongues, angelic and human. Now remember last week we were talking about the gift of tongues and I quickly said that it can be a humanly language or it can be a heavenly language, right? It can be one that you can speak in tongues and the person that knows that language can be sitting in the room and be ministered to by what you say. That's what happened on Acts chapter two. And then there's also the prayer language that nobody understands, right? And then there's, it goes along with that gift of interpretation of tongues where somebody can spiritually understand what nobody else can understand, right? You can see how this can get a little complex, right? And why people abuse it so poor. The point here, here that he's making here is there's different types of tongues. There is humanly language tongues and there is angelic or non-human language tongues. And when I say tongues, I'm talking about languages, okay? There's earthly and there's angelic. And both of them are a part of the gift of tongues. Don't buy into this teaching that, they're, that the gift of tongues is different from your prayer language as if they're two different things. That's not biblical. And I hear that a lot. It's not biblical. They're both the gift of tongues, but they're manifested in two different ways. That's all. Just like there are gifts. It says, in fact, in fact if you read the scripture, it says varieties of tongues. Just like there are gifts, plural, of healing. They come in many ways and varieties. It's the same gift, but it comes out different ways. All right, so don't, don't buy that if you have ever hear it. But the point is here that if you don't have love, you're like a clashing symbol. Now, this is good imagery of someone who uses tongue in a disorderly way. I mean, it is... I've seen this of tongues being abused, people being disruptive, praying out, sometimes screaming out in a language in this group of people, and they're like, what in the world is going on? There's no interpretation, and it feels jarring, uneasy, not right, out of order. It's because it is. And he's going to talk a lot about that in chapter 14. Clashing symbol. I don't care if you can speak in other humanly languages when you go into tongues you've never learned Spanish and it comes out in Spanish if you don't have love behind your use of that that gift at the proper way and the proper time and with care and love for the person that you're ministering to you're disruptive you're 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 jarring and it's not helping everybody that's there all right, Paul will deal with that a lot more in, in the next chapter. And he goes on to verse two, the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and knowledge and having faith so that I can move mountains. That's a reference to Jesus' teaching right there, right? If you have a faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell that mountain be removed and it will be removed, right? You can tell this mountain to move it and it will obey you. But I do suppose, however, Without love, you can take that mountain out of your own way and drop it right in front of somebody else's, their way, or crush them with it. You can have powerful faith and say massive things, but you, that doesn't mean anything. You're nothing. You're nothing. If your motivation is not to bless and to love the people that you're believing God for, Right? So that's the second category. He talks about tongues or languages. He talks about faith, prophecy, knowledge, powerful gifts, but not with 
but, but, but utilized without love for people, they don't mean anything. In the third category, verse three, he's talking about extreme self-sacrifice. If I give away all my possessions, and if I give my body over to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. So in this verse, uh, Paul's demonstrating, a, 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 has a couple demonstrations of extreme self-sacrifice. So he's talking about giving away all my possessions. You ever, I mean, just somebody that just gives and gives and gives. You ever meet somebody like that, right? They just, I mean, They'll, they'll, give, they'll give their vehicles, they'll give every penny they have in their account, their account. Uh, they'll move people in that lost their home in, you know, come live with me, they'll, just extreme givers, right? And I give away all my possessions or I'm gonna sell all this property I have and give it to the church, it's great, right? It's incredible to have people like that in the church and we should be more like that, in fact. Or if I give my body over to, uh, to, to be burnt, meaning it's just, I don't even, I'm gonna, I will burn myself out. I will, I will allow myself to be harmed physically so that other people uh, don't get hurt. I will work until I'm exhausted and fall down. But if I don't do it out of the motivation of love, I gain nothing. So these are just two examples that he talks about of extreme self-sacrifice. Now this is probably one of the most deceptive forms of moving in a gift while not knowing you are doing it with the wrong motives. Because when you give of yourself and your possessions and your time extensively, excessively, right? Really, you're pushing yourself so much. You can fool yourself to think that you are absolutely motivated because you love these people because you're passionate about it, right? But this is where the deception comes in. Have you ever heard or said this before? Look at how I sacrifice for you. And this is how you treat me? That's it, I'm done. Have you ever had, especially those of you who has the gift of helps, the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, given and helped and mercied so much that you burn out to this place and you ended only in resentment. Because you give, you give, you give, and then the, pe the people didn't reciprocate, they didn't respond how they wanted to. You were burning yourself to that point and eventually you said, I'm done. I'm done with this. That's why this one can be really deceptive. Because people who have these gifts, just they love to do it, but it doesn't mean that they're motivated to, be, to do it because they love the person they're doing it for. They can give and, and all of these things because it gives them a sense of self-gratification. Some people like to give because it, of how it makes them feel. They don't give because of how and what it does for the other person. It's very deceptive. And that's why I've seen a lot of people with the gifts of helps, mercy, and giving get very, very offended with the church. Because they're doing it with the wrong motivation. They do it because of how it makes them feel, not out of a pure love. Okay? 
when we get this these times where we just get offended and it gives over to this you know this resentment in those moments we're forgetting the motivation of love and our sacrifice turns into a prideful display of spiritual self-righteousness look at how i give of myself now you may not say that but you really really want people to notice it because that's what gives you value right and if it gives if this thing if your sacrificial given is given over to a prideful display of spiritual self-righteousness which by the way is sin our sacrifice gains us no reward in heaven it's as if you didn't even do it why why can i say that because it wasn't motivated by love so god ain't gonna care how much you sacrificed love is the core ingredient that you cannot afford to remove from this spiritual pie that we're making <laughs> you can't remove that one you can do all of these things nobody's impressed mm. nobody is impressed Four through seven, let me read that. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Man, I'll tell you, those are some of the most beautiful words that Paul has ever written. You can see why it's in almost every wedding, <laughs> right? I mean, and this is great advice. These characteristics that he's talking about here is great advice for relationships. Great advice. What is, I mean, he, the, the, the funny thing is, is like, the first thing he says about love is that it's patient. And we know that in a relationship, patience is one of the hardest things to maintain, but the one of the things that is so absolute and necessary. We have to be patient with one another. But remember the context here. This isn't just about weddings. This isn't just about husbands and wives. The context here, Paul is writing to believers, about believers and for believers. This is about how you and I treat each other. This is a list of requirements, a list of proofs that we actually love one another. This is about how we conduct ourselves when we are apart and when we are together. We could take weeks just stutter, studying each one of these characteristics of love. And isn't it really the Holy Spirit, right? What are the gifts of the Holy, or excuse me, the fruits, we talked about the gifts, but what about the fruits of the Holy Spirit? What's the first one listed? Love. Love. It's the proof point that you are His. As I mentioned, patience is, is the first because I think it's the hardest. 
the hardest one. But again, remember, we're talking about how we are in church. Are you patient with everyone in the church? Let me ask that again so that I don't let anybody off the hook. Mm -hmm. Are you patient with everybody in this room right now? All the time. Are you patient with the people that you fellowship with? Are you kind? Because this is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you kind to everyone in church? Well, sure I am. Really? Are you sure about that? Or do you just think you're kind? Did you ever exclude someone? Did you ever talk to someone less because you don't care for them that much? You spend all your time with this group over here, but ignore that, that group over there. Are they not a part of the body of Christ? Are you not required to be patient and kind and loving towards them? How about when you pray for people? Do you pray with the same fervency for everyone or do you favor some people over others? Ah, the people you really love and you really just feel jazz when you're around. Man, I spent a lot of time in pray, praying for my brothers and sisters. But then there's a, a few in the church and in our gathering I don't really care for. And maybe you'll throw up a prayer once in a while. Begrudgingly. Because you know you're required to. But you're not motivated by love. Come on, we could go on and on about this. You know, mention a lot of things here self-seeking irritable boastful and arrogant remember he these guys are beating each other up with the gifts of the spirit and you can use the gifts of the spirit to be arrogant and boastful to put your to puff yourself up and make yourself look spiritual and you know somebody it's really easy to tell when somebody does that after it's done you see somebody that prayed for someone and they are instantly healed. You give a word of wisdom or something, something legitimate and powerful happens, right? And we're all excited about that. But whenever I see that, I always do one more thing. I don't just let it go and just move to the next thing. I watch and listen to the person who just, God just used, the Holy Spirit just used for that miracle, for that supernatural thing. I look at them, I listen, I pay attention to what they do and what they say. And that tells me everything I need to know about their spiritual walk. Because afterwards, do they glorify God and bless that brother and sister? Or do they go into this, wow, it just came to me and all of a sudden they turn the attention to themselves. And now this event that just happened, instead of this person just getting set free or healed or, you know, that gets put to the side. And now it's all about the person who performed the miracle. If you're listening to an evangelist, a teacher, you know, someone recall of a, of, of some, a way that God used them in the past, pay attention to how they describe it. Is it done in a way that makes them self look and appear more spiritual? Or is it truly showing and demonstrating the glory of God? Look at what God did. And is it littered with fla the flavor of, I don't know why I, God chose me to use this, but look at what he did. And it surprised me as much as everybody else. Right? Pay attention to that. Because one who, who who describes those, the, those things that they do in the Lord with that kind of flavor, they're not motivated by love. 
They might be healing people. They might be, uh, you know, they, they, they might be giving accurate words. People might be set free, right? Which is a good thing. God uses us in spite of us, right? He'll still operate, um, you know. We can be, act very, very foolish, and he can still operate. The Holy Spirit, why he decides to do that from time to time, it's up to him. He still gets his job, the job done. But it's not counted as righteousness for the one mm. who does these things and has no love. Mm. What, does that, what does that mean for us when, when Jesus said, not everybody who's in that day says, Lord, Lord, mm. will enter? And you'll say to me, well, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these amazing things? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. What's the ingredient that he's looking for? Love. Not that you participated in these things. One last one, I love this one. Don't keep a record of wrongs. You know, we, we have a way of doing that. Oh, husbands and wives have a... They, they, they got to be really careful about this one. Always casting up the past. Will you remember when you, when you go down through the, the list of things, the list of records of wrongs? But the Bible says, what, is, what does the Bible say about love? Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't keep a list in your back pocket ready to pull it out as ammunition when you really want to win an argument. That's not love. Love covers. It doesn't expose. When something is dealt with, when you have a, 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 a disagreement with a brother or a sister, and you come to that agreement and you, you get it sorted out, it's gone. It should be gone. Right? We don't bring it up again. The Bible says that he forgives our sins as far as the east is from the west. He takes them and he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness and on the, the ocean floor. Never to be brought up again, covered by the blood as if they never happened. That's how God's unconditional love is poured out on us. And that's exactly how he expects us to be loving our brother and sister. So when we're coming into this fellowship and we're, we're, we struggle with a brother or a sister at, you know, time and time again, you might not bring up, hey, you did this, this, and then you might actually not actually vocalize to that person, but you will be building a judgment in your mind and in your emotions that whenever I'm around that person, I'm, I'm going to bring up this record of wrong in my mind. I'm going to replay it, and that is going to prevent you from loving and serving that brother or sister effectively. You will keep a record of wrong. See, it doesn't say you have to say the record. You don't have to speak it. You're keeping it. It's in your back pocket. And I'm going to remember this thing the next time this person hurts me. Man, doesn't this go back to when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven, seven times? He thought he was being spiritual. He goes, 70 times seven. He said, you don't forgive your brother, I won't forgive you. Forgiveness is taking that list of wrongs and tearing it up then burning it over an open flame. And every time that they come up, you rebuke the thought, you rebuke yourself every time it comes up to your mind.
But when you're hurt and you're upset, we, we try to resurrect those, those lists. Don't allow yourself to do it. Man, that's heavy, isn't it? How many times does a record of wrongs interrupt our, the love of our brothers and sisters in our day-to-day, week-to-week fellowship times and meetings? And <coughs> Rather, love bears all things. It means it can handle it. It can handle it. It can handle the tough situations. It can, it can handle when somebody doesn't treat you right, when your brother or sister is right. You can handle it. You, you can bear through that. You can bear it. You're not going to break down over it, right? You're not going to blow it up into a big issue. You're going to bear those things. You're going to handle it properly, maturely. It believes all things. It hopes all things and it adores all things. Man, the adoring all things. When you have a body of Christ, I've said this before, when the body of Christ is acting in the love and the unity and in, in the plurality of the gifts of the Spirit and the harmony of the Holy Spirit and they're doing things the, the proper way and we're loving the proper way and we're serving the proper way, I'm telling you what, and you're unified and you have the mind of Christ together, the enemy can assault you with every bombardment, every bombing, every assault of the enemy that can come against that body of Christ and they will not fail. But if there is disunity in the body of Christ and they're not doing those things, that, that devil can throw a paperclip at that body of Christ and they'll blow apart. Yeah. Love is at the center of it all. Love is at the center of it all. He goes on here. I'm going to read from eight to the end. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they will come to an end. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now I see only a reflection as if in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these things, these three things, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul is making a simple, but a very profound point. You know, it's unfortunate that this particular portion of chapter 13, um, the point that he's trying to make is utterly missed. But I think, I, I believe much of the church. We would rather argue, take these words and argue the question of, is Paul saying that some of these gifts, the gifts of the Spirit are going to end with the apostles? Which, by the way, is the core scripture for cessationism that I talked about last week. Cessation of meaning that the, uh, the teaching, that the gifts of the Spirit, specifically words of knowledge, prophecy, and healing, and tongues, will all have all ceased 
when the apostles at the end of the apostles age basically when the first 12, when the when the disciples uh, were finally um, finally killed or died I mean honestly though after all of this context that we've been going through going through do you think that is actually the point he's trying to make here I mean it's ridiculous and it's bad scripture application cessationism is bad Bible interpretation, bad teaching, through and through. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I, this, it, it just is. And it has robbed the body of Christ from a blessing of the Holy Spirit for many years. And it needs to stop. The enemy wants to see the body of Christ ineffective and immature and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are a powerful amazing thing to build up and to strengthen they're an amazing evangelistic tool they're a way to build the body of Christ they're a way to prove that Jesus is real that the power is real demonstrated before the unbeliever strengthen the faith of the believer it does these things and to say oh God just did away with them we don't need them anymore because we have the full scripture, we have the full canon here. No, that is not what Paul is saying. What he's saying here is all of those things are going to come to an end when we don't need them anymore. That's not talking about now. It's talking about when we're with him face to face. The point that he's trying to make here is love continues on. Right? He's saying... Don't get so wrapped up and fascinated with the gifts of the Holy Spirit because ultimately they won't be needed anymore. Who in heaven needs the gift of, this, of the Spirit when we are standing in the full presence of Jesus? You don't need to speak in tongues. You don't need to heal anybody. You don't need to have a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, or prophetic word. You've got God right there in our presence. You're not going to need any of those things. That's the perfect. That's when the perfect has come that he refers to. He's saying, rather, instead of being so wrapped up and fascinated with the gifts of the Spirit, be fascinated with love because love will never come to an end. God is love, the Bible says. If you can't love here and now, what makes you think you're going to love there and then? That's what he's trying to say when he says those things, are, all those things are going to come. We only do it in part. We only have so much knowledge here on earth. We only have, you know, when you receive a prophetic word, it's not in its fullness. And a lot of the per people who receive a prophetic word don't even know what it means for them. They know in part. They prophesy in part, Right? Tongues is a mystery. We know this. It's something that we don't fully understand. Everything is, is, is limited. All of it is a picture or, or tools that we use that God works within this imperfect body of Christ mm -hmm. that he can accomplish his perfect will. Amen. But they're, they, they're all in fragments and pieces to us. We don't know when, when a word's going to be given. We don't even always know what 
fully what the word means when it's given. Sometimes it takes time to understand that. There's all of this stuff. Eventually, when we're standing face to face with Jesus, oh, thank God. Thank God we have the fullness, the full revelation of Jesus, the fullness of his presence. Not the ways that we have to work within right now. But love is different. Love is material. It is powerful now and in heaven. God is love and God is now. God is love and God is forever. And our love for one another should not start in heaven. Our love for one another starts now. 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 In fact, we're commanded to love. We are commanded, right? John chapter 13 says, I give you a new command. Jesus saying, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The word just means in the same way. In the same way that I have loved you, you are to love one another. Now, what did Jesus do for us? What did Jesus do for you? And if you are willing, if we are willing to deny our brother and sister, the same kind of love mercy and grace that we are so willing to receive from our Savior. Are we honestly actually in his kingdom? He goes on, he says, by this, what is he saying? By this, this love for one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, let's flip that backwards. Without love, if you don't do this, no one will know that you are my disciples. Is he saying that we're just incognito? Or is he saying you're not actually his disciple? The body of Christ needs to to double down on this. We need to stop arguing about the gifts. Stop arguing about do they exist or not. Stop arguing about can you lose your salvation or not. Mm-hmm. Stop arguing about does right. is the rapture coming pre-trib and trip post-trib. Right. Right. Stop arguing about um, you know, is it predestination or free will? Stop arguing about all those things. Stop arguing about all the conspiracy theories. Stop arguing about this. And can we please just focus on loving one another? Because that's the proof to the world that Jesus is alive, that we are his disciples. Not with how well you can argue your doctrinal point. We need to knock it off. It's silly, it's foolish, it's a deception. And the devil is laughing at the body of Christ. Much of, not all, much of the body of Christ because we have fallen into this because we don't know how to love each other. And if we can't figure out how to love each other here, we're not going to get the opportunity to learn how to love each other there. 
we're not going to get the opportunity because I'm submitting to us, if we cannot and do not love our brothers and sisters, you're not saved. Charismatics, many charismatics say, oh, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not really saved. Some have said that. What a wicked deception of the enemy. I will say, if you're unable to love, you're not saved. Because you're not like your father. If you're harsh against your brother and sister, you are like your father, but your father is not God. Your father is the devil. That's why Jesus said to the religious leader, your father, the devil. Religious people, he said that to. Because they didn't know how to love. Love is the proof. Love is the proof. In verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. Childish things, those two words, most Bibles say childish things, interpretation. It's one Greek word, and it literally means childishness. So let me read it this way. I put, when I became a man, I put aside childishness. Doesn't that carry a little heavier weight? There was childishness happening in the, in the Corinthian church. And he's telling them, grow up. Grow up and mature into the place of love and care for one another. Verse 12, for we only now see for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be full no I will know fully as I am fully known. This now and then, right, this face to face, this is why I, I support what I said before. It says when the perfect comes, the imperfect will be that's the now and the then. He's talking about the now, which is imperfect because we're not face to face with him. The then is face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Context, context, context. He's talking about the now on this earth and the then in glory. All in the context of the gifts of the spirit here, right? But isn't this a beautiful thing that he says? Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That just shows that God, even though we know him in part, we only understand so much, we're limited in our faith, we're limited in our belief, we're limited in our understanding of him. We're limited in our wisdom of him. Even though we don't know him fully, but we're continuing to learn him, he already knows us fully. He knows us fully. That's a beautiful little thing that, that Paul inserted into this. And if, guys, if God knows you fully, he knows how he can use you 
in the body of Christ. If he knows you fully, he knows your abilities and your inabilities. He knows your tendencies. He knows what fascinates you and what you're repelled from. He knows how he can gift you. And he knows how to insert you into the body of Christ in a way that you're a blessing to the body. Trust him in that. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit who distributes the gifts. It's his decision. Let him decide it. Don't resist it. Don't resist how God wants to use you in the body of Christ. He may want you to use you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable for a season. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. He wants, don't grieve the Holy Spirit and suppress him and sadden him because you refuse to be used by him. And we can. Mm -hmm. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit and sadden him when he uses you and then you turn it around into a selfish thing or uses a way to disrupt what he's trying to do, mixing your flesh with his spirit. We need to grow. Remember, leaving childish things. And finally he says, now these, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's the key. It's the key that unlocks the effectiveness of the body of Christ. If we truly know how to love one another. If you gotta practice anything, if you wanna be a, just be a good disciple, if you want to, to be a good church member, if you wanna be a good husband, a good wife, a good father or mother or child or sibling, if you wanna be effective, if you just wanna be good in the kingdom of God, practice love. That's why he says it's a more excellent way. When you practice love, the Holy Spirit will entrust you more with his giftings. He will trust you more. He will give you more opportunity. Why? Because he knows that you won't use these things for selfish gain. He knows that you will glorify him and not yourself. He can trust you because you are always loving. Listen, in the end, what is the greatest of the commands? It's a two-parter. First part, say it with me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second part, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the two requirements. All of the law and the prophets were summed up into two simple statements. Two commands that really are one because you can't have one without the other. They're, they're conjoined twins. They both have their applications. They have their, their ways about them. But the best way, and I would submit this to you, the best way that you can show love to the Father, to love God, is to love your neighbor. Figure out how to love. I want us, Way Life, I want us to learn how to love better. We have got to learn how to love better. When we love better, watch, watch what happens with the gifts of the Spirit. I think they'll explode. 
I think this, the gifts are going to flow like crazy because we're just going to continue. God is going to entrust us so much. We're going to be so unified. We're going to be so patient with one another. We're going to be seeking the mind of Christ. All of those things are just going to happen. Why? Because we keep loving each other. It's the key. It's the key. My goal is not for us to have more healings. My goal is not to have more, more deliverances. My goal isn't even ha to have more salvations. My goal is for us to love God and love each other. All that other stuff will happen because of it. All of that stuff will happen because of it. The moment we miss this part, we're putting the cart before the horse. It doesn't work very well. Love cannot be the afterthought. It has to be the primary goal of everything that we do and say. Amen? Amen. Lord, teach us to love. Teach us to love. I, I fear that we are much further away from knowing how to love each other than we think we are. I fear that we think we're a loving person when we are actually quite selfish. I fear that we are more stricken with pride and self-preservation than we are aware of. Lord, I'm asking that you would expose to us how much we don't love. But more than that, I pray that you would expose this to us by giving a revelation of your love for us because I feel like if it doesn't come from in fact I know based on scripture we're unable to love one another unless we have the love of the Father in us I pray oh God that you would fill us with a revelation of your love for us and out of that we flow, flows the love for one another and I pray that it would be reciprocal but even if it's not, that we would be a, an agape loving person anyway. I pray that we would love even when we're taken advantage of and lied on and mistreated and talked down on. I pray that we would love anyway. Help us, Lord. We need this. We need this now more than ever because we know that the world continues as, the, as our, the world and our nation especially becomes more and more secularized and lawlessness is abounding. As you said, lawlessness um, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And Lord, we don't ever want lawlessness to be in our heart mm -hmm. and we want your love and our love for one another to be remain strong so we thank you father i pray that you help us in this help us to come in in our next meeting already with a with a desire and a plan of how we're going to bless at least one other person while we're here and while we gather Help us to be thinking about and preparing for coming. And not just in our meetings, but in, our, in the week. 
as we reach out, we text one another, we encourage one another, we pray for one another as we go. Help us to continuously love, not just love when we get together. But when we do get together, I pray, oh God, that it would be a beautiful demonstration of a healthy body of Christ. Building each other up, healing each other, and loving each other. We give you glory, oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.